Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast, where it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. Through our interviews and discussions, we hope to provide you with information and resources that will help you support the the education of your child or student with special needs. I'm Nicole Erdix, and one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource for parents and teachers, www.theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I am the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, but the chat room will be open if you'd like to stop in and suggest a question. I'll try to work it in if we have time. I'm feeling all discombobulated today, as indeed our radio show seems to be. If you're hearing large gaps in the sound, it's not our fault. We don't know what's going on. But uh, hopefully, (laughs) hang on there, keep listening, and we'll be back at some point. Uh, But uh, this week started with, uh, after last Friday, I had a graduation party on Saturday, which was wonderful and awesome and filled with lots of love for kids with special needs. Uh, A lot of my son's friends were there and also a lot of his service providers who have helped him through the years, his speech Mm -hmm. therapists were there, and a lot of the paras from his school and his transition coordinator and and, uh, the people from the special needs social group he goes to, and just sort of everybody all sitting there beaming, watching the kids dance and interact and stuff. So it was really great. And then, you know, we had a few days of routine, and then Fourth of July happens, and now a couple of days routine, and it's the weekend. So I'm looking forward to next Monday, because I think that's when the summer routine kicks in for good, and I am so ready for it. <laughs> Sounds like you've had a disruptive over. week as well, Nicole. Yeah, well, I've been playing tour guide of Southern California all week. <laughs> I've, had some, I've had some visitors down from Canada, and we've been, uh, you know, doing all the touristy-type um, stops and attractions, and so I'm I'm a little bit uh, slow off the mark this morning, but, you know, I've got my coffee, and I'm hoping to pick it up, and... <laughs> And, I've got and my green move tea. forward. You've got your green tea there, Nancy. Good for you. <laughs> and, 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 and speaking of which, I should introduce you this morning. Uh, we are very, very pleased to have guest Dr. Nancy Rappaport, who is a child psychiatrist and is currently an assistant professor in psychiatry at Harvard University. And she is also the co-author of best-selling book, The Behavior Code. And she is here to talk to us this morning about understanding and teaching challenging students or even children so this is a show for parents as much as it is for teachers um in the classroom so anyway good morning nancy it's great to have you here thank you for coming on the show pleasure to be here thank you 
Wonderful. Well, let's get started just by um, letting the audience know a little bit about your background and your work and um, how your book came to be, so to speak. What? What? Can you give us sure. a brief description? I'm a child psychiatrist. Been a child psychiatrist for 20 years, and the director of school programs at Cambridge Health Alliance. So I've been working with uh, uh, in depth with one um, public school for 20 years, and have three other districts that I have um, social workers and psychologists that work. And mostly, my job is to come in and do very intensive assessments when a principal will see me and say, "You know, this is the toughest kid I've had in 20 years," or, or a teacher will say, "I'm up at night because I can't figure out what to do." Mm-hmm. And I had one, um, and I, I usually do what's called a differential diagnosis. So I try to help figure out with school. needs to happen, whether there needs to be a self-contained classroom or out-of-district placement if they can't meet the needs. In one particular situation, I had a child who was going from zero to 100 in a split second, and uh, that's the way the principal described it. Mm -hmm. And the person who I saw make a big difference in how this child was able to function in the classroom was my co-author, Jessica Minahan, who's a behavioral analyst. And I thought, you know, there's a gap in what's available for parents and kids and, Mm -hmm. I mean, parents and teachers in terms of I'm stuck. I have, and we chose there's a lot of psychological understanding about these kids, but not what do you need to do to help this child function the next day in the classroom. So we set about to write a book called The Behavior Code, which would be both trying to provide some understanding and at the same time have concrete kinds of steps that could be attached to an individual ed plan or um, could could uh, be something that a teacher teacher or a parent would say, you know what? I can do this and I can try doing this tomorrow. So the topics that we chose of the kids were um, kids with anxious behavior, oppositional behavior, uh, withdrawn behavior, and sexualized behavior. And those are definitely the top challenging students that I would say that I've had in the past myself. So, And you're correct. There is a gap in terms of what, you know, we are – taught in university and trained as as teachers to do uh, with children like that. And, um, you know, we can, for the most part, handle, handle those minimal behaviors. But when it escalates, I think, you know, you really need a professional to step in or some sort of professional advice to step in and give you words of advice and, and ways of doing things. So definitely well, your, book sounds, your book sounds like it's still the niche then. Well, that's why we're talking to you today because, you know, um, not every district has a child psychiatrist who's spent 20 years thinking about mm-hmm. schools or a behavioral analyst, and we felt like we wanted to make sure that someone, you know, one of the hardest things when you have a child who's struggling in the class for a teacher is that they feel like a failure, and mm-hmm. they sometimes can run out of ideas. So we wanted to write something and provide something for teachers and parents that said, you know, you're not alone. And yeah. here's some here's an approach that we think is useful. And ideally, 
I would love to see in teacher colleges that, you know, my dream would be that this would be kind of a classroom Bible that you graduate from school and you get this, uh, the behavior code as mm-hmm. a way so you're not, you know, we lose 40% of teachers, uh, new teachers. And I think it's wow. because of the, just what I'm describing, these kinds of behaviors really can undermine the confidence of a teacher. Yeah. So. Oh, I can attest to that. That's for sure. Um, when a kid presents with oppositional or explosive behavior, um, school professionals and parents sometimes respond in ways that can exasperate the situation. Can you explain how oppositional students may act in school, maybe you know what's going on with this child and some effective interventions? Sure. So the oppositional child typically has frequent tantrums and angry outbursts uh, and may excessively argue and question rules and often can blame others for his or her mistakes. And, you know, occasionally they can act aggressively towards other students or the teacher and um, may destroy other people's property or... Uh, and um, for... For, for one, I, so there's a couple things. The first is that you've got to build a relationship with an oppositional kid, even though they are desperately pushing you away. There's a part of them that wants to be liked, and I, like I said, do safety assessments on kids, and most of the times they'll tell me the teacher doesn't like me, as mm-hmm. if that justifies their behavior. So, um, reaching out and uh, what Pianta calls banking and making sure you have time with a child who is oppositional in times when you're not giving them negative feedback can be really important. Another aspect that uh, sort of aspect that teachers get caught into is the you know, especially authoritarian teachers, which is what you can become when you have someone saying no every 5 minutes, so it's, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. um is that they'll say I need you to do it now rather than embedding choice and allowing the student to have as much choice as you can. So it may be about picking the order of assignment, it's kind of or uh, what material to use, or um, oh, sorry, my um, <laughs> I've got to turn that off. Sorry. Um, hey, a technical glitch that doesn't have something to do with us. Yay! <laughs> so um, excuse me. Um, so uh, you know that's. Um, uh, so when you when when you embed choice, think about if you have a toddler and um, a toddler, uh, you, you know, you say you can either have the red tray or the orange tray. It's not about whether they're going to have a tray or not. That's the same thing with mm-hmm. an oppositional kid, where you want to provide them with choices so that they can save face. And right. then, and often the other thing we point out is that with oppositional children, there can be underlying anxiety. And they're not, uh, particularly with children who may have had trauma, they may not come in saying, I'm anxious on their forehead. Their their way of expressing their um, anxiety is being oppositional. So in those situations, you also want to be able to teach self-calming uh, strategies. Okay. Interesting. So those are and, cliff notes. <laughs> yeah, the cliff notes versions. <laughs> and the calming strategies, those are some strategies that you would list in your book then to Yeah, oh, to help. so self-calming um, strategies could be uh, with younger kids. It can be a calming box where they actually have things um, that, uh, and they can have them in the classroom where they have a box of things that may calm them. So say if you have a... Um, 
a girl who loses her temper really quickly and gets oppositional. Um, they might be some lotion that they use, uh, a small oh. bottle of lotion that they might use or scent that makes them feel calmer. Um, there could be a picture of a parent they have in the in the calming box. There could be um, some silly putty if they right. tend to sort of need something with their their. Um, and then, um, uh, and often another aspect of working with optional kid would be to make a demand and then move away, avoid her eye contact or hovering. A lot of times, kids get um, uh, teachers and parents get sort of engaged in using a lot of words with the mistaken mm-hmm. belief that the kid can't hear them. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> that doesn't work. That they can't hear them is that they're choosing not to hear you. And giving more words, particularly if you have a child with some kind of processing difficulty and oppositional behavior, don't flood them with words. Sometimes you can even um, – my daughter yesterday, she was a little – she's 22. She's not oppositional, I hope. But I, <laughs> I, I, thinking about this, I, I had been asking her to do the dishes for like the last three days, and so I just sent her an email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do the dishes. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so I, mean, I think that idea of getting away from nonverbal, um, from verbal cues and using nonverbal cues, so putting something on a sticky, putting it on the desk, walking away, away can be helpful. Right. I, f- I find with my son, if you, if you, if he's doing something, if he's really absorbed in something and I yell at him to, to listen to me or to do something, he has this huge explosive reaction. But if I go up and just kind of tap him on the shoulder, he turns to me and is perfectly available. So oh, that's uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard to remember as a parent. It's you know, you just and I'm sure as a teacher too, you get used to a certain way of doing things and you expect a certain response. But you know, if a kid is locked in in a certain way, that is the worst possible thing to do. You have to find what it is that actually gets their attention, yeah. rather than what you think should. I'm just going to backtrack a bit, Nancy, because, you know, we've been talking about children who are oppositional or explosive, and I'm just wondering, why does it seem that there are more behavior problems in our schools than ever before? I I don't know if that's a media hype issue or if it it truly is a situation where this generation of children, you know, just seem to be more um, uh, reactive to certain situations. What what's going on there? Do you have any insight into that? Well, um, I, on a research level, I don't know what the trends are, but I could certainly share my thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. One one aspect is that that some of the kids who would have not made it in public school are being kept in public school. So they might have been in, um, you know, particularly when we're talking about inclusion, they might have been in self-contained classrooms or or have dropped out of school and so we have some students who are staying in in our schools who um, then teachers are being asked to develop the kind of tools and parents are being asked to develop the kind of advocacy to be able to support these kids. Uh, certainly with oppositional kids, sometimes right. it may be that um, there could be, you know, I think we've gone through a period of time when there's been a major focus on kids and somewhat of a lacks expectation of what expected behavior is. So sometimes teachers are going to need to provide a structure and a redirection 
that maybe they might not have needed to do back 30 years ago. But I, I, I think we had kids who were anxious and oppositional prior um, to, mm-hmm. you know, year 2000. Uh, but I do think our, our both our sensitivity and, and certainly around trauma, uh, they say that, you know, there are less kids now being abused than there were, um, you know, back 15 years that were on an upward trend of um, making environments safer. But I still think there are many children who are exposed to things that make them come into school anxious and maybe more brittle and explosive. Uh, but there are also kids who, um, you know, may be withdrawn and it has nothing to do with their environment or may be anxious and it could be something biological going on. I am a medical doc, so I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wrote a book that is really focused on how can teachers and parents shape the environment to support kids, but we certainly oh. know there are, you know, some kids who come in that, uh, you know, the whole nature-nurture argument yes. where they come in and, and uh, they are wired in a way that is challenging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's I wonder no if kids, yeah. fault of parents. Have classrooms changed to some degree, too? Uh, you know, I wonder if there's there's more pressure on teachers, maybe, if teachers are... Enormous. Uh, uh, you pressure. know, ha- have more stress and less reward to their job, and so maybe they have just that little degree less patience that sets off a certain type of kid who might otherwise yeah. have just sat in the back of the class and, and hmm. you know, I don't not... Have... I don't know. I didn't think of it that way as pressure. I thought of it as pressure that they need kids to produce and that they yeah. may have a higher teacher-student ratio. I was just on the phone right. last night with a colleague talking about a, a, a charter school situation where, you know, the principal was basically saying this is not, you know, the kinds of interventions and the kind of intensity to keep a kid who had anxious, explosive behavior that wasn't the orientation of this of this particular school. And mm. that's we have what we call the FAIR plan, which is mm-hmm. um, a, and we named it that because of, our idea that it is fair. Um, a lot of times teachers can say, it's not fair, this kid is taking all the time in our class yeah. and I need to teach 20 other kids. And I'm sympathetic. I've worked with teachers and have tremendous admiration for teachers. Mm-hmm. But I also feel that you need to invest time in these kids, that if mm-hmm. you do and if you front load it, that you will see, you'll have a more satisfying experience because you'll see a child shift their behavior so right. I, you know, um, so the the acronym FAIR that we use is F is for the function of the behavior, which is super mm-hmm. important for um, teachers and parents to figure out. Okay. A is for the accommodation, mm-hmm. I is for interaction, and R is for reaction. So we put interventions throughout the book around, you know, how to, how to, um, respond to kids' behavior. What, what are some, are there some other tips you can tell us for children who are argumentative and have a short fuse? Because I know well, teachers and parents could probably use a never-ending supply of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, in your dream dream kind of classroom situation, you'd like modifying the schedule can be uh, mm-hmm. helpful. So there's the there's a it's called the grandmother rule where you you know that whole idea that you tell the kid eat the peas. I shouldn't keep saying right. kid, it's student, but um, <laughs> tell the child to um, eat the peas 
before they eat dessert. So yeah. if you can modify and alternate between classes he likes and those he may not like as much, that mm. can be useful. If you mm-hmm. have a child who's acting up in recess, and again, that's when you start to look at patterns, which is so important. Yeah. Um, if you have a child that's acting up in, in alternative recess, it's worth thinking about an alternative recess with fewer s- students that involves a highly structured activity. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's possible to have open-ended, flexible assignments, that's useful with yeah. oppositional kids and experiential lessons. Um, avoiding power struggles is really important. A lot of times teachers uh, will end their sentence, particularly elementary school teachers, I don't know, it's kind of a tick, but they'll say, okay, <laughs> you know, when they're making yeah. a demand, get in the line, uh-huh. okay? And that's yeah. not a good idea with an oppositional kid. Uh, um, yeah. And um, then uh, if you can give sort of indirect demands, that can be really u- useful. So, oops, some of you still need to put your name on your paper. That's mm-hmm. a way of not getting involved oh, nice. with it. Um, mm-hmm. If you use uh, natural consequences as a, as a motivator, instead of do your spelling, oh, I wonder whether you'll do well on the quiz if you don't do your spelling today. Mm-hmm. So it sort of has a um, now that's still a, you know that that that's um, uh, uh, and then um, if you set limits that are enforceable, reasonable, and clear and simple, that's really yes. important. Um, and I don't know if you want. I have one more that I just would as a pet peeve of ours. A lot <laughs> of times with oppositional kids, you get into these um, behavioral plans: five stars yeah. if you don't do X, and uh, or if you do this, and mm-hmm. what's uh, What's important with rewards and consequences is to use it incrementally. So mm-hmm. a lot again, sometimes parents or, or teachers will get into giving too large a, uh, yes. a sort of reward and not yeah. break it into incremental rewards. Mm-hmm. So it's better to offer the student two free breaks per day rather than yeah. a whole hour at the end of the day. And it's, yeah. And it's also better if you can reward using the skill versus showing the behavior. Um, yeah. So those are just some quick yeah. ideas. Definitely. I like the, you know, uh, breaking it up to short, uh, small rewards in the short term rather than yeah. large rewards. Yeah. Don't make the kid wait all week to get their prize. Yep. You know, yeah. if you can do it, see how long they need. You know, do it once a day or do it ha- in half a day or do it, you know, every ten minutes. If, they yeah. use, if a star every ten minutes will get them working. Because uh, yeah. I know with my son sometimes if he sees that he's not going to be able to make it all the way to the reward, he just packs it in. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Fine, I'm just going to misbehave and get in trouble and get it yep. over with. <laughs> yep. I'm That's never going to make that. Yep. So they get you discouraged. Need to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and we all, to some degree, if we're honest with ourselves, do that. You know, <laughs> anybody yeah. who's well, ever failed on a diet like, knows. It, ex- that. Right. I was just going to say that. <laughs> that uh, I started eating uh, chocolate cake and now just eat the whole Exactly. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I can't possibly do this, and so yeah. <laughs> bring, on, bring on the pounds right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with oppositional kids, you always want to be able to find opportunities for success and yes. to build on their competency. Yeah. What What can parents do to sort of uh, facilitate this with teachers? I know oh. the thing that teachers least likely to see is the parent coming in and saying, you know, 
uh, oh, you just have to understand my kid, and well, I'm really a great I, kid, and here's all the things that you should do for my kid. Well, let but, me tell you, I, I, I know I'm sort of plugging my book, and I don't mean I'm a shamelessly promoter, but if they, if they go to the Harvard Ed Press and put in uh-huh. Cap 12 and buy a book, yeah. copy of the book, Behavior Code, what they should do uh-huh. is highlight the book. So they have an oppositional kid, an anxious kid, or whatever, and I will send a signed copy to the teacher of a little book sign saying, read this, Dr. Nancy uh-huh. Rappaport, assistant professor of Harvard Medical School. And right. Because I really feel like this is why I wrote this. It made me so upset that sometimes teacher, the parents don't know what to ask for, and mm-hmm. teachers don't know what to give. So I wanted to give right. a cheat sheet to parents and say, you mm-hmm. know what, there are there are reasonable expectations you can have for schools that yeah. they can do to surprise, you know to provide support for your kid. So, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to give. I, I'm not. I I play both sides. I have I work with schools and I adore parents who have these kind of challenges. So, uh-huh. say they have an anxious child, it's okay for a parent to say provide a space safe space in or out of the classroom for the student to go when feeling anxious. Schedule mm-hmm. regular breaks. Arrange yeah. an alternative lunch with at least two peers if they're really struggling during, um, you know, uh, 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 consider offering untimed tests. Uh, mm-hmm. Start with a few problems at a time to, in schoolwork so that you can get the child starting, you know, moving. Um mm-hmm. So those, I mean, you know, I'm just running through a couple of ideas, but yeah. that idea of what are some accommodations or interaction strategies that may be useful, um, you know, I I, um, I want parents to raise the bar with teachers mm-hmm. at the same time as I want to support teachers in being able to meet the needs of their students. Right. Well, I mean, ideally it makes things easier for the teacher and it makes the classroom calmer. You just have to kind of get past that barrier of, you know, the way things have always been done versus this kid misbehaves because their parent is too permissive. They've come and given me the list of all these things I should do. Well, that was the other thing that (laughs) I... have run up against that before, as you can probably tell. (laughs) Well, you know, or that they're spoiled, basically, and you're a doting parent, and Mm -hmm. that's why you're asking them to do a laundry list of things. But the, the reality is, uh, my deep belief is in two ways. One is that kids would do well if they could, which is, you know, yes. borrowing from Ross Green's idea. And right. the other is that um, parents have uh, have a um, deep investment, as do teachers, to feel competent. So mm-hmm. they may keep repeating things because they don't recognize they don't work. So say with right. an anxious kid. A lot of times when a kid gets anxious and starts to rev up, it makes the parent or the teacher anxious. And mm-hmm. so what they start to do is to use a lot of language. You've already right. been at the computer 15 minutes and you haven't had, um, and the other student hasn't had a chance, so you need to get off. That's not yeah. useful. Using yeah. concise language, computer time is over, done. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. in a nice way, computer time time's over. So just a reminder, a gentle reminder to parents and teachers, if you notice yourself getting anxious, check mm-hmm. and see, are you using overload with words? Yeah. And just take yeah. a deep breath yourself, yeah. you know, yeah. um, with an oppositional kid. If you notice that you're getting super into a power struggle, can you step back and use humor? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yes. You know, I'm not – I actually have to confess, when I got the book, like, 
1,001 things to do with your kid. I did the uh-huh. first one, and I felt discouraged because it was like build a doll a house with your kid, and my kid like rolled yeah. her eyes. And then I was like, okay, forget the 990 other ones. Right, so right. The idea, I mean, my first book was about my mother who died by suicide, and I wrote um, a memoir about it. And the idea that I moved from that to writing a how-to manual for parents and teachers is quite a stretch. Yeah. But it was really done as in a, in the same way of saying, you know, in my first it was really around self-reflection and how you um, come to an understanding about loss. And in this, it's also really encouraging teachers and parents. When you say you can't control a lot of variables, but the things that you can control are who you are with your student or your child. You may not be able to shift how they react, but the best shot you have is by being very self-reflective about what you're doing to either reinforce the behavior that they're doing that you don't want to see or encourage the behavior that you do want to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a great message, definitely. Oh, oh. Here we go. There's our bell, the lunch bell. And ideally, there is our <laughs> bell, because that's such a lovely place to stop. Uh, it's uh, the bell that says that we have to get going. Uh, our live listeners are going to leave us very soon. I'd like Bye. to thank you for being our guest today, Nancy. It was so interesting sure. to talk to you. And Wonderful. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Uh, you can find find out more about Dr. Rappaport on her website, nancyrappaport.com. That's R-A-P-P-A-P-O-R-T. And you can also follow her on Twitter at Doc Rappaport, D-O-C-R-A-P-P-A-P-O-R-T. Join us next Friday at 9 a.m. on the Inclusive Class Podcast where we will have part part two of our series on understanding and teaching challenging children and interview Nancy's co-author, Jessica Minahan. Uh, In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter where Nicole tweets under the name Inclusive underscore class and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. You can also find archives to our past shows on my blog at www.mamatude.blogspot.com, and I swear I will be updating that list today. Uh, also, <laughs> our show is now on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Goodbye to everybody, and have a great week, and I am actually going to remember to play the outro music. Here it comes. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.